Okay. Well, thank you. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 13. Amen. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you <clears throat> by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Amen. Wow, that was cool. <laughs> that was a cool reading, man. Thank you, Andy. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you guys for all your prayers for uh, Jackie last week. Um, we think we've got some things figured out. Um, a couple of doctor's appointments after we got out of the hospital on Monday. So uh, uh, she's doing a lot better. So thank you for that. And uh, keep praying for E and his family but the, over the death of his uh, dad. Um, he won't be probably back in this area until midweek. Um, uh, next week, we're going to be starting a three-week series. Uh, I was going to do this earlier in the year, but circumstances, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe God had it for us right now. We're going to do a three-week series on politics and religion, <clears throat> trying to, as Sam talked about, crazy things are afoot in this world. 
um, and uh, religion, politics is one of them. So we're going to kind of deal with uh, how do we stay sane in the middle of uh, the, the, the nightmare that is politics in America right now. Uh, before we get too deep into uh, the message, I just want to focus your attention on that last verse that Andy read for us um, out of uh, Isaiah. Uh, and it says this, also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back or who can undo it. Uh, we're closing out our series on work matters this week, uh, looking at the uh, 90,000 hours the average person will spend working in a lifetime. That's about uh, hmm, one fourth of our waking conscious hours. So <clears throat> I decided, well, since work is uh, consume so much of our lives, maybe we ought to talk about it. Like what did God create work for and how might that actually play out in the lives, uh, in our lives in a healthy way? Uh, so that's what we've been talking about. I hope we've learned a few things over the series. I know I have, um, like how God made work as a gift to us and how our jobs are supposed to serve the world, which God wants. And the last time we met, we talked about how you know, being great at your jobs is uh, actually a very Jesus-like way of showing up to work. Uh, but today, for this final week of our series, uh, the thing we're going to learn today is kind of what I think everything else we've talked about rides on. And if we can somehow get today right, then I think everything else we've talked about in this series begins to fall into place. And if we don't get today right, then uh, pretty much everything we've talked about really isn't sustainable. And that's because today we're going to talk about the fact that who we are without work matters, who we are outside of work matters, meaning we got to know our true identity. We got to know who we really are. And if we know that, then pretty much everything else begins to fall into place. Uh, but the truth is, uh, we can start to lose our true sense of identity at an early age, right? We can start to misunderstand who we really are. We can get these bad identities that maybe we take on through our lives and maybe they last throughout our lives, right? Um, there's this phase of life. I think we've all been through it. <clears throat> there's that moment when you're a little kid and something clicks in your little brain and you think to yourself, well, you know, maybe to get what I want, uh, I need to be mean to somebody. I need to push them or bite them or scratch them or, or uh, knock them down or take it away from them or whatever, th that will show that I'm a force to be reckoned with, that, that I'm important and I, I need to get what I want. So you start trying to be mean, right? But you're a little kid, so you're pretty clumsy at it. I mean, you're not really super great at being mean yet. You don't really know how to really stick it to someone uh, unless you, you, know, you don't bite their arm off and most kids don't do that. So what do you do? You eventually gravitate to name calling you know, when you start learning how to talk. Uh, you learn how to call other people names, but you're really not even good at that yet, right? You see little kids' siblings get mad at each other, and they call each other names, but the names they call each other aren't really that clever. They're just sort of a weird collection of gross words that maybe they know, so they get mad at each other, then it escalates until the anger explodes into something like, you're a stinky foot brain, and then there's this little goofy satisfactions thing that shows up on their faces like they really just clock the person really good. And the recipient of the name calling 
happens to also be a little kid. So they don't really have the capacity to sort of think about this and conclude, well, gosh, that name doesn't really make any sense and brush it off. No, it kind of hurts, all right? There's usually end up being tears involved. And when you think about what we're doing, and I think this starts around name calling, think about the age of four, but what we're doing is kind of messed up. I think it's this kind of human nature thing. We have this beast inside of us thing, inside of us that goes, I'm going to remove your true identity and I'm gonna lay a bad identity on you. That's really what we're doing when we're name calling. You're not Johnny to me, you're not an individual, you're a poopy face or whatever name we come up with, right? We're removing people's true identities and replacing them with some bad identities. Of course, now I'm talking you know, more about the more innocent juvenile form of that. But at the same time, you and I have been called names, right? Several of them. There were ways that we have been defined, sometimes at an early age, uh, and some of them have stuck, right? All of us have uh, found this in some form or fashion, these definitions of who we are, these bad identities that we took on. And they're not really cute, and they're not really funny, and sometimes they still even hurt today. And we can spend a lifetime either trying to prove those names wrong or just sinking into the defeat of those names. And I'll explain this with a little example from me. <clears throat> I took on the identity of the definition early on of I am puny. I grew up thinner and scrawnier than most of the other kids my age. I uh, had allergies, I was, I was allergic to house dust. <laughs> allergic to cats, feathers, amazingly spinach and poison ivy. Uh, I spent a couple of times, a uh, couple of weeks at a time out sick, wheezing for air. I seemed to have a genetic flaw that did not allow me to know what poison ivy looked like. Anything green all looked the same to me for some reason, so I was always running into it. And I would go to school uh, with these big, huge gauze bandages all over me, legs, arms, chest, in an attempt to soak up all the ooze from the poison ivy. Yeah, great. Great to go to school that way. It didn't work, right? The stuff would soak through my clothes. So real fun. And it would get infected. So I got, I have scars all over me from those sores. Right? So you hit middle school and all the other guys are sort of maturing, but not me because I was small. But one thing I did have, I had fantastic reflexes. I wasn't a track star, but I was quick as lightning. And I could also shoot the lights out in a basketball. The high school coach saw me play in the gym class and saw me basically at will steal a ball from anybody, race down court and score. So he recruited me, but my mom and dad told him it was too risky given my allergies. And you know, maybe, maybe they were right. Maybe it would have killed me, I don't know. But for a kid growing up in Indiana, <laughs> a dream died, right? I was puny. Anyway, the years of allergy shots, or maybe just my grow, growing out of the allergies, nobody seems to know which one happened, but life got better. Still, I looked kind of underdeveloped, so much so that when I got my first job at CIA, I was known as Young Duane in my first job, and that stuck for about 15 years. I kind of figured at this point, well, it's going to pay off when I'm 65 and I look like I'm 40, right? Anyway, I had enough good support, friends, good mom and dad, teachers, that this really didn't mess me up for life. But that's not everybody's story.
Sometimes when we get these bad names when we're younger, they stick. Uh, do you have one? A bad identity that you've been carrying around? I don't know what yours is. Maybe dad didn't stick around or mom didn't stick around or neither one of them stuck around, but you got a name at an early age. Maybe yours was, I'm unwanted. So you spend your whole life overcompensating, trying to prove that that's not really who you are. Or you just kind of sink into the defeat of it, right? Yep, that's, that must be who I am. That's, that's all I'm worth, I'm unwanted. And if that's you and that hits the nail for you, I'm really sorry because that's terrible, right? But what's the bad identity that you've struggled with or taken on? Maybe when you were younger or maybe even more recently and you fight against it. What's your I am statement? I'm ugly, I'm forgettable, I'm easy, I'm annoying, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad spouse. What's yours? Whatever it is, I'm sorry. But I do want you to actually think of it right now. I want you to kind of lock that aside because we're gonna come back to it at the end of this little message. So why am I talking about any of this stuff in the first place in the final week of our series on work? Well, here's why. When we are kids, we try to prove those bad identities wrong by acting out or standing out or dishing it back or whatever. But then we grow up. And the number one way we try to prove those bad identities wrong when we grow up is through our work. Now, to remind you of the broader definition of work in this series, I don't just mean your career and jobs. I mean, I do, I do mean to include that, but I'm, I'm talking about your accomplishments. You and I try to prove those names wrong through our accomplishments. Maybe you're not earning a paycheck, but you're trying to shed those bad identities through what you can accomplish in grad school, or what you can accomplish as a parent, or what you can accomplish through your hobbies, you're trying to be a great artist or a great photographer, a great hunter, whatever, right? You get these bad identities we're trying to get rid of and we're looking to our own accomplishments to help rename us. In other words, we need work. We need accomplishments to help tell us who we are. Now, some of you guys listening right now, right now might be a little skeptical. I get it. It sounds to you maybe like a bit of a stretch. I mean, you don't feel like you're trying to find your identity in your work or accomplishments. Well, I, I, I really hope that's the case. But I'm just gonna tell you that for most people and most often, that's exactly what we're doing. We just don't realize we're doing it. So I just wanna give you a couple of signs for whether a person is looking for their identity, looking to rename their identity through work and accomplishments. And then you can just determine for yourself whether this sounds at all familiar. Well, here's the first one. Success goes to our heads. When we need work to help define us, when we need work to tell us who we are, when we need accomplishments to tell us who we are, success will go to our heads. We have a sense of pride, right? Why? Because we need success at work. We need the accomplishments. We need the recognition. We need the rewards. We need the results. We need the promotions. Why? Because we, we, we need to be renamed. And we're looking for our accomplishments to do that for us. So when we are recognized or promoted or celebrated, it's like this incredible adrenaline rush, right? It feels so darn good. And we tell ourselves that, that that's what we needed. We tell ourselves, look, there's the proof. I'm not dumb. I'm not weak. I'm not worthless. 
I'm not unwanted. I'm not a failure. Why? Because look, I'm, I'm a success. And so success itself becomes addictive. It's why we become workaholics. Hey, look, I, I tend to drift there. So no judgment, okay? But the danger is this. Without work, we tend not to know who we are. Without those accomplishments, we tend not to know who we are. I don't know who I am without work, right? I need work. I need the success at work. So we work harder and we work later. We neglect our families to get that one last addictive accomplishment or success. We are looking for work and accomplishments, hoping that they will tell us that we're not whatever bad identities we're trying to shake off. So when we need work to tell us who we are, success will tend to go to our heads and start dominating our lives. Uh, you're probably ready for me to move on. Okay, I will. Here's the other sign. Failure goes straight to our hearts. When we need work to tell us who we are, failure hits at the core of us. That's why the criticism. That's why the demotion. That's why the layoff. That's why the furlough. That's why the early forced retirement feels so devastating. That's why when we fail at work, we feel that we're failing as people. Why? Because our jobs and our identities are kind of inseparable. So when work is going poorly, we take it to heart. Our actual identities take a hit. <clears throat> now, for example, uh, you reach December and you realize that you've not met your quota or you've not covered your overhead or you're not getting your year-end bonus. What, what do you do with that information? I mean, does it go to your head? I mean, do you think about it? And by that, do I, I mean, do you tell yourself, okay, this isn't good, but what can I learn from this? How do I adapt? How do I, how do I adjust? Or does it go straight to your heart? If you're anything like me, it goes to your heart. There's no real learning or adapting or adjusting. Instead, I'm just telling myself, Dwayne, what have you done? You, you know, you're not really that good. This proves it. They, they've been right all along, right? Failure goes to our hearts. When we need success at work or our accomplishments for identities, when we need work to tell us who we are, success will go to our heads and failure goes straight to our core, to our hearts. Last sign we're looking for, um, the, the last sign that shows that we're looking for identity and work or accomplishments is this. We have a tough time stopping comparing ourselves to everybody else. When we need work, tell us who we are, it's really hard to stop comparing ourselves to others. Um, maybe this example will help. Um, uh, say you're in sales and you've had your best year yet, right? Awesome, but guess what? Joe Schmo, the guy with the million dollar smile down the hallway, did more than you. So here's you, best year yet. Here's Joe Schmo, what are you? Not quite good enough. Maybe you're the stay-at-home mom. You finally got the kids into bed. Oh, sure, the place is a wreck. And you didn't have a chance to give them a bath, but man, we had a good day. We took them to the zoo. It was fun. So you get a glass of white wine. You sit down on the couch to unwind, feeling good about yourself. You open up Instagram. Guess what? There's Nancy Schmancy with the fancy house down the street. What did she do today? Oh, she took her kids to the zoo also. And then she cleaned her house, got them bathed, taught the kids long division fractions, prepared the gourmet meal. You had a great day, 
But here's Nancy Schmancy, just killing it at motherhood. So what are you? Not quite good enough. But my guess is that most of us are doing this in some form or fashion. What does it look like for you? We're carrying around these bad identities that we were named early on. We're looking for work or accomplishments to help rename us. Please give me a new identity. Please work, please give me some, uh, give me, tell me who I am. Accomplishments, help me figure out who I am, who I really am. We need work to tell us who we are. And frankly, it's letting us down. It comes and goes, right? Success shows up today, but it's gone tomorrow. The big wins are few and far between. So when it comes to our accomplishments, it's constantly like riding a roller coaster, up and down and up and down, and so go our identities. So what do we do about this? What is the solution? Well, I think the solution is that you and I need something. You and I need someone who is stronger than and louder than the voices coming from our work or accomplishments and stronger than and louder than the voices of those who have hurt us in the past with bad identities. We need someone who's stronger and louder than all those other voices to tell us who we really are. In other words, who we are outside of work, outside of accomplishments, outside of failure, outside of success, all that matters. We gotta shed these bad identities, but first we gotta look for our real identity and something other than our work and accomplishments. If we, if we, big if, but if we can get that right, I think everything else begins to fall into place. Successes and failures just become indicators. That's it. They don't affect our identity. Why? Because we know who we are. Who we are without work matters. So who is the voice that's louder and stronger than all those who have name called us and given us bad identities? Well, cutting through the deafening roar of accusations and your successes and failures and the names you've been called and the accomplishments or lack thereof, cutting through all of that is one voice and it says this, now thus says the Lord who created you, he who formed you, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. For decades now, we've had these bad identities we're carrying around with us. We're looking for accomplishments for our work to prove them wrong. And meanwhile, we have this God who says, <laughs> you might like to know this, I don't sit around evaluating you. I don't sit around measuring you based on your performance. I measure you based on Jesus' performance. And that means, God says, that I don't call you weak. I don't call you a failure. I don't call you unwanted. I call you by your name. I just call you Dwayne or Jackie or Betty or Jen or Tom or Mario or E or Karen or Christina or Susanna or Evangeline or Sam or Nikki, right? Your identities, Jesus is your mind. So we need Jesus to tell us who we are. We have to look at his work. We have to look at what he has accomplished. We have to stop looking at our work and our accomplishments to find our identity. So what in the heck did he accomplish for us? And who does he say we are? Well, here's what Jesus has done, right? He's taken every single one of your failures, every, everything terrible you've ever done in the past or today or that you will do in the future, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your selfishness, you name it. He's taken every single one of your failures. The Bible just calls it sin. And he's put your sin to death when he was nailed on the cross. 
Now, because your sin and your failures are not even a factor any longer in the relationship, Jesus speaks up and says, from here on out, from here on out, I reserve the sole right to define you. From here on out, I am the only one that gets to call you names. So what are the names that he calls us? Might sound familiar, but it's important. This is what scripture says. Do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. And because God has called us that, remember in Genesis, right? God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. God says, let the earth be filled with critters. They were filled with critters. So when God speaks, it happens. Because God has called you a child of God, the next phrase says, and so we are. That's out of 1 John 3. So how awesome is it that God would say this about us? That we should be called children of God. And because we've been called that, because he has spoken it, that's what we are. That is our true identity. And if we could start there by looking to his accomplishments, not our own, to figure out who the heck we are, then everything else in life, including work, begins to fall into place. If we do, then thinking about work, success, is no longer a lifeline anymore. It's not even addicting anymore. It's just an indicator that you might be on the right track. So keep on trucking, right? And failure doesn't become a heartbreaking, crushing thing anymore. It's just an indicator that we might be on the wrong track, right? So learn, adapt, adjust, and keep on trucking. Then the comparison game becomes a moot point. Why? Because I know who I am. I don't need to compare myself to anyone else. We know that we are the sons and daughters of a good and loving God who loves us and said so and called us his children. And therefore it is. If we can know who we are and start there, everything else, work and accomplishments, even failure begins to fall into its proper place. And if that feels a little bit abstract to you, like how would knowing that and starting there and living in that place, how, how could that change your life? Let me, let me tell you a story I think maybe will help tie it together. Uh, there's a dad uh, talking about his two kids. One of, the, one of the kids is his daughter. She's six years old. The other one is a son, four years old. And they were both doing some jigsaw puzzles on the floor. And the four-year-old has this puzzle that he's done a hundred times before, and he's just smashing it, but he's just going through it, putting it together into nobody's business. But the daughter has a new puzzle, and she's struggling with hers. And as she watches her little brother just crush his, right, she gets more and more frustrated because she's having trouble with hers. And it finally reaches this climax. She kind of huffs and puffs and points to the puzzle box and says, Dad, what's that number mean? And on the puzzle box in the corner, there's just one of the little tags that says ages colon three plus. And dad explains, well, that means that this puzzle is appropriate for anyone who is three years old or older. And he said he could begin to see the wheels turning in her head. He could see her thinking, oh, this is a puzzle three-year-olds could do and I can't do it. And he began to see her eyes water up and then she started crying. And in a moment, it broke his heart, right? As her dad, because Maybe she's not old enough to articulate it, but he knows that what she's feeling inside is, I must be stupid. And he could see his little six-year-old comparing herself to her, her, her little brother and concluding that she doesn't measure up. 
he could see this little human nature bent towards finding success or failure in finding in that success or failure a sense of who you are and what you can accomplish and concluding I'm the six-year-old who can't do a three-year-old puzzle. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. There must be something wrong with me. Now, the dad thought about all this, and he started asking himself, do you think my evaluation of her identity went down because she couldn't do this silly puzzle? Do you think I defined her or wanted her to define herself based on what she can and can't do? Do you think I started calling her names like stupid and not good enough and bad daughter? No way. Why? Because she's mine. That's my kid. That's my daughter. I'm her father. I love her no matter what. She's good enough for me. And that's that. Well, because of Jesus, you and I have a perfect version of that. When it comes to our relationship with God, who is our father, he looks at you and says, I don't call you by any names others call you or even the names you call yourself. I call you by your name and you are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am your father. No matter what, you're good enough for me. And that's that. And because he said it, so we are. And that's the truth. And if we could start there with the truth, rather than a lie, everything begins to change in life. So all I want to do today is this. I want to practice Starting there. Practice starting with that true identity for yourselves. One of my favorite descriptions of, of who God is is in Psalm 3. It says this, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. That is, you, you are my protector. You are my glory. You're the most valuable thing in my life that I value and the lifter of my head. And this verse kind of paints a picture, this image uh, of, of, of God as a perfect father who's walking up to a son or daughter of any age. That would be us walking up to us when our heads are hung in defeat. It's this picture of him of taking his finger, gently putting it under our chin, and lifting your head. And when he does that, what do you think you see? Yeah, you see your perfect father. And you hear what he says about you. And that brings you back to true confidence, back to true security, back to true identity. So just going to play a little game here. Here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to ask everybody to close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, just bow your heads. Everybody do that. Just assume the posture of defeat, if you will. Remember at the beginning of the chat, I told you to reflect on the bad identity you have been carrying around your whole life. I just want you to think about it right now. I'm not going to leave you here, but I want you to think about it. What name have you been called? What name have you called yourself for years now? I'm stupid, I'm weak, I'm unimportant, I'm unloved, I'm unwanted, I'm unlovable, I'm ugly. What's the bad identity? Go ahead and say it to yourself in your head, like you've been saying it to your head all along. I want you to, I want it to sink in that, that you've been carrying that bad identity. Now that you're there, keep your eyes closed, keep your head hung. I just want to tell you what God says about you. I just want to walk us through our true identities based on what Jesus has said and accomplished. So the best news we could hear. So keep your eyes closed, your head hung. I want you to hear, I want you to listen to a voice that God says he wants us to hear as louder and stronger and clearer and truer 
than the one that has defined you much of your life. God says you're forgiven. Romans 8, you're not. You are not your guilt and shame. You're not your past. You're not defined by that. You're not your mistakes. You're not your outright failures. They do not factor into your identity anymore. You're forgiven. God says you're free, Galatians 5. That means you're not a slave to the bad identity you've been carrying around. You don't have to live in that. You're not a slave to your family history. You're not a slave to your successes or failures or your accomplishments because you're free. Because of Jesus, God says you're treasured and loved. Deuteronomy 7 means that you're not forgettable. You're not overlooked. You are not unwanted. Because of Jesus, God says you are here on purpose, for a purpose. Psalm 139, that means you're not a mistake. You're not some accident of the cosmos. Your life is not inconsequential. It means something. It matters. Because God says you're here on purpose for a purpose. God says you are loved, John 3, 16. No, you're not hated. You're not irredeemable. You're not too far gone. God says you are loved. And God says, because of Jesus, you are worth dying for. It means you're not worthless. You are worth a very great price. And not just him saying it. He actually paid the price because you're worth dying for. Now, just imagine that God comes up and puts his finger under your chin and lifts your head. And you imagine as he's looking into that face of yours, he speaks these words, you are mine. I am God, the only God. There's never been a God before me. There will never be another one after me. I'm the only one. I call you by name. And because I spoke it, it is so. You are my child. There is no one and no thing that can pull you away. I work. I have done this. And there is no one who can undo it. You are mine. This is who you are. Yeah, when you're single, when you're lonely, you're eating dinner alone again, that identity is who you are. That's who you are when you're married with kids and you're feeling claustrophobic. God's identity for you is who you are. That is who you are when you are promoted. That is who you are when you are laid off. That is who you are when you're addicted and afflicted and ashamed. It's who you are when you are ignored and abused and refused. It's who you are. No ifs, no ands or buts. It's the end of the story. It is finished because God has said it. It is so. It's who you are. And that's that. But when we hang our heads in defeat, we do not have a God who puts his finger in our chest. We have a God who places his finger in our chin. He lifts our heads. And when we do, we see him. And he says, eyes on me, heads high, shoulders back. I am your confidence. I am your strength. I am your victory. I'm the one who gets to tell you who you are. And I say you are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm your dad. I love you no matter what. Don't forget it. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who I am. Chin up. Head held high. Eyes on me. Hmm. Oh God, thank you for these people. We have been carrying around bad names and identities while you sit and try to coax us into believing that you have renamed us. You call us sons. 
you call us daughters, you call us forgiven, you call us free, you call us treasured, you call us loved, you call us yours, you call us your children, you tell us what, that we were worth dying for. So you did it, you died for us. We thank you. God, what I'm asking for right now is something that no message could ever articulate or be powerful enough to do. No song could ever be beautiful enough to accomplish. I'm just asking that you do something that only you can do, which is to take this truth from our heads and plant it in our hearts. Help us to believe that you have redefined us. Help us to see what life would be like to live out of that identity. Can you please do that right now? Make it stick, not just for a minute or two, not just for a couple of days, but every day for the rest of our lives. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes this even possible for us. We know we don't deserve it, but because Jesus thought we did, we believe it, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.